recently I was flicking through a TV channel trying to see if there was anything interesting to watch. And I came across this program of some Mormons that were living in an area called The Rock. And what really was fascinating was that you'd see this husband who would be with one of his wives and children. And then at the end of the day, he would kiss that wife goodbye and go next door to be with his other wife. It was fascinating watching how these wives struggled when a new wife was to be courted or when a newborn child was born to another wife. In one of the programs, we saw this man's brother sadly die of cancer and the grief of the wives and the children and the whole Mormon community grieving with their loss. But then this man shared with his three wives that his brother had asked him if he would take on and look after his two wives and their children. Should he do it? Should he take on more responsibility, bringing more stress to his families? He knew he had to. However, it was up to his brother's wives if they would agree to this. Liz and I sat there struggling with the idea of more than one wife and family, let alone five. It is no doubt from this story of Ruth and that of Genesis 38 and Deuteronomy 25 where their beliefs came from. So that is where we shall begin, for it refers to the lever and the goel. Now, a lever is a Latin word translated in Hebrew, meaning brother-in-law. And it speaks of doing the part of the next of kin when the man in the house has died. And a goel is a near kinsman who acts as a redeemer or persons of or property. The verb G apostrophe L means to buy back or redeem, but more importantly, it means to protect. There's a lot more in this story than what we're able to share this morning. And no doubt when we're out of lockdown in the years to come, if we look back at Ruth, I will explain more. But now we have a bit of a better understanding of Old Testament custom. We can look at the meaning into this part of Ruth's story in chapter 3. In chapter 1, Roy spoke of the mother-in-law's loss. Last week, Mike advised us of the daughter-in-law's loyalty. And now in chapter 3, we look at the Redeemer kinsman's love. In the first five verses, the narrative stays with Naomi and her concern for Ruth. In Moffat's translation, he says... I must see you settled in life. Words that mean you should marry again. Yes, she had said that to her back in Moab, but there was less chance of a suitable partner there. And knowing that Boaz had met Ruth changed their despair into a new hope. Boaz was a close relative, but was he to be their goel? Did she know there was another kinsman? That perhaps Boaz had an elder brother? Somehow I believe she did. But she felt that Boaz was more suited to Ruth. She knew he was kind and generous and trustworthy. As Mike said last week, 
He was older, but loyal and honorable, qualities any parent would want of a future son-in-law. And so a plan is conjured to get Boaz to respond. Ruth is to wash and anoint herself and put on her best clothing. Her response to Naomi is, I will do all of you ask of me. Naomi's intention is that Ruth is to make it clear that she is asking Boaz to marry her. By laying at his feet, it was a clear indication of humility, an indication of I am yours. You see, references to feet in the Old Testament were seen as sexual. It's now midnight and Boaz awakes. Could he have had too much to drink and now needs to relieve himself? Or did he find himself unusually warm? Maybe his feet were cold. We don't know. It's dark and he can smell perfume. He can sense he is not alone. He asks in fear, who are you? What do you want? Her response is, I am Ruth, your maidservant. But why was she there? She answers in such a way that Boaz would clearly understand her intentions. Will you spread your shirt over your maidservant? For you are my Goel. This was a delicate request for marriage. The spreading of the skirt is referred to in the passage from Ezekiel in the Lord's love to Jerusalem. I passed by you again and looked on you. You were at the age for love. I spread the edge of my cloak over you and covered your nakedness. Yea, I pleaded myself to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine. Ezekiel 16, verse 9. But look at verse 10 in chapter 3. Boaz understands Ruth's request, saying that she has made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after younger men. Many men would have taken advantage of her here. Many, one, many men would have fallen foul to the temptress at night after wine. But Boaz is a godly man and says, may you be blessed by the Lord. Ruth's loyalty and faithfulness are seen in her willingness not to pursue her own personal preferences, of a younger man or rich man for her commitment to her family's responsibilities. Ruth is now a member of God's covenant family and is showing her faith active in love. Today we might say for Boaz it was love at first sight but he knew it was not that simple. You see, it fell upon a closer relative to legally be their Goel. So in the morning, Boaz was to meet this kinsman. That night, we are led to believe that nothing improper happened. Boaz requested she stay the night rather than possibly face danger leaving in the darkness. But Ruth left early before people awoke and before rumours could be spread that would have caused harm for this other kinsman. Ruth returned with six measures of barley assigned to Naomi 
that Boaz would not only continue to look after Ruth, but Naomi as well. I'll let you into a secret here. For ages, I kept reading commentaries on chapter 3, knowing that I had read something about the ritual between Boaz and this other kinsman. I just couldn't find that source, and it stopped the flowing of my writing. As I picked up the dramatised Bible, I started reading the four character lines. And when it continued into chapter 4, I found my answer. However, like me, you will have to wait till next week to find out that answer. So what happened to our Mormon families, you ask? To be honest, I'm not sure. There was obvious tension, which only got worse. And in many ways, it reminds me of the Israelites in Exodus, who, when turning away from God's original plan, found disaster and pain. And like these Mormons, they remained in the, in the wilderness, literally. But throughout history, when humankind follows God's original plan, in a sense, we remain in the Garden of Eden. But whenever we feel we know better and step away from God, disaster is just around the corner. Maybe you've experienced that personally. I know I certainly have. Maybe you are in the wilderness, away from God or away from the church. Maybe you're in a first love in being a new Christian. Wherever you are, near or far, remember that God is only a prayer away. In one of the books I was looking at in preparing for this message, I came across this story. Peggy was a wonderful mother of seven children. One day she rang the pastor and said to him, did you ever think of that verse which says, my God shall supply all your needs according to the riches in glory by Christ Jesus? The pastor responded that he had. Peggy continued. Did, it, did you notice that it says supply all you need? That simply means you don't get the supply until you have the need. Such an obvious and profound thought. As each need arises, God supplies it. So if you didn't get your prayer answered, God obviously felt that today was not the time you needed it answered. He never keeps anything in his plan for your life that you need now. He will always give it to you. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. Humankind was separated from him. There was no mediator. Then at the very time when we were without strength, God acted. He saw our need and sent his son to be born in a stable in Bethlehem, leading him through childhood into manhood. And then he continued doing his father's will, which led to the depths of Gethsemane and to the cross. When we were without strength, Christ died for us. 
When we were godless, Christ died for the ungodly. It was the Son of God who gave his life for me and for you. Will you give yourself to him? I pray you do. What about Ruth and Boaz? Well, again, we'll have to wait till next week to hear about that. They began rightfully by honouring God. I'm not spoiling the story here, but in my Bible in chapter 4, it is titled, The Marriage of Boaz and Ruth. Amen.